and turn to Genesis chapter 4. I have met one or two visitors this morning and you're most welcome just to say that we are working through the book of Genesis. That's why we're turning there. We've done four talks, I think, five talks in the book of Genesis and we'll probably do another two more and then we'll go to our next series. And then we pick up the book of Genesis at the start of next year again. And that's kind of like how our preaching program works. But we're in Genesis chapter 4 this morning. One last announcement, uh, which I know John will get to and pray for later, is that today is a very uh, historic day. It's, we're launching our fourth church today. Uh, Uni Church kicks off tonight on Edith Cowan University, Junilab campus, in one of the lecture halls there. There's a whole team ready to go. Uh, so please be in prayer for that. Please pray for that. Uh, it's, it's a, we're nervous, we're, you know. Um, but we trust we've got a glorious God and a go- uh, just an awesome gospel. So please pray for us. Pray for us. There's about 20 folk who are committed to coming to that and to launching that with us. So please pray for that. I'm going to pray right now and then we're going to jump into... Oh no, let, let me read it for you. Sorry, so have a look at Genesis chapter 4. I'll read it, then I'll pray and we'll jump in. Now Adam knew he Eve, his wife... And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any man who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called it, uh, sorry, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And to Enoch was born Erad, or Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujal, and Mehujal fathered Methushel, and Methushel followed Lamech. And Lamech took two wives, 
The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada born Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, he was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore, bore Tubal Cain, he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Sorry for the pronunciations. Not quite sure how to pronounce all of those. Let me pray. Father, this is an obscure passage, perhaps. It's very, very old, very ancient. But Jesus said that this is the Word of God. And so we believe your words still speak today. And that's what we're asking. Will you, through these words, come and speak to us? Show us what this means. How can this possibly have relevance in Perth in 2013? Please, open your words to us. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. Let me begin with some other profound words. Who knows where these words come from? I'll, I'll read them out to you and let's see. I'm sure you'll know. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Who knows where that comes from? Come on, you're all Australians, you know where that comes from. Huh? <laughs> no, <laughs> further back. Okay, those are the second opening paragraph, or it's the opening paragraph after the preamble, of the United States Declaration of Independence. 1776, 4th of July, you know, 4th of July. Well, I'll read it to you again. It's very important words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Enshrined in the American Constitution, in the opening paragraph, is the idea that we have the right to life, the right to liberty, and here's the interesting one, the right to the pursuit of happiness. This, of course, is the United States Declaration of Independence where the United States, 13 states, declared independence from King George back in Blighty, back in England. Um, but you look at it closely. Why did they say the right to the pursuit of happiness? Why didn't they say the right to be happy? The right to happiness. Instead, it's kind of like a, a softening, the right to the pursuit of happiness. And of course the framers, brilliant men, the framers of the United States Declaration of Independence 
were very, very careful. They were very precise. The reason they put the right to the pursuit of happiness is because happiness is not guaranteed. You can't give a right to something you can't guarantee. You have the right to pursue happiness, but we're not going to give you the right to happiness. I think because written into that is the understanding that you're not really going to find it. Or at least there are very few who will ever find it. Even breaking away from the tyrant, King George, and he was a tyrant, and they were probably right to break away from him. My apologies to those of you who are King George fans. But uh, the fact of the matter is, even breaking away from King George and finding their own independence didn't guarantee them happiness. And the question this raises for us is why? Why is happiness so hard to find? We all want it. We all pursue it. There's no such thing as a person who isn't pursuing happiness. No such thing. From the man who gets married, he's getting married because he's pursuing happiness. To the man who cheats on his wife, he's cheating on his wife because he's pursuing happiness. Even the fitness fanatic, he pursues happiness, although it doesn't look like it at the time, but he's pursuing happiness To the drug addict who abuses his body, he's also pursuing happiness, even though they're doing the opposite thing. Even the person who commits suicide is pursuing happiness. In their case, they think non-existence will produce joy and happiness. Why is happiness and joy so elusive? Will human beings ever find their happily ever after? Or is that just for cartoons? And the Bible has the answer. The answer is this, that people are fallen. We are not what we were. We have fallen. We're not living in paradise. We're outside of the garden. Do you remember where we ended up last week? Look at verse 24 of chapter 3. God, uh, this is the end of chapter 3 of Genesis. God drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, those are uh, spiritual creatures, angels, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What we're being told here is that the man and the woman were expelled out of paradise. They were kicked out and there were angels with flaming swords. So you can't just, you know, you go to the uh, shopping center, you walk up and you just do this with your hand and the doors open and you walk in. Well, I do it with my hand. It looks corny, but it works every time. You, this is not like that. The Garden of Eden is shut. You walk up to it, you'll just walk smack into flaming swords. That's the picture. You're outside. Every single person here, whether you're born in South Africa, Australia, England, America, doesn't matter where you were born, you were born outside of paradise. You were born outside of the garden. Why were we outside of the garden? Why were we expelled? Well, Genesis chapter 3, which I'm not going to go over, we've looked at, is the story that we did the same thing that America did to King George. We declared independence. Unlike the 13 states of the United States, we were wrong to do so. Just like the 13 states drafted that declaration of independence from America, a unilateral declaration of independence, uh, sorry, from England, England didn't grant them independence. It was a unilateral declaration of independence. Adam and Eve did the same thing to God. They declared independence from God. 
But America may have been right. People were wrong. Here's what went wrong. We chose to believe that God was a tyrant. We chose to believe lies about God, that it wasn't great living under his rule, that the world he made wasn't as good as we could make it. We chose to believe that there is no joy in loving God, that it's better to love the creation than God. We were deceived. We were all of us, in the words of Lord of the Rings, we were all of them deceived. And so we've got a God-sized problem and it leads to the misery in the world and it gets to Genesis 3 at the end where we were driven out of his presence. Now we come to Genesis 4. And in Genesis 4, what we get is a picture of life outside the garden. This is what life on planet earth looks like. If you're sitting here this morning with pain or disappointment, I'm going to show you why. Why life looks like it does outside of the garden. And there's three things. Fallen people, first of all, can't relate to God. No longer can people relate to God. What are we talking about this morning? We're talking about the pursuit of happiness. And I'm showing you from Genesis 4 why you can't find it. Here's why you can't find it. First of all, because fallen people can't relate to God. Look at verse 1 to verse 5 of Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Evie's wife. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker on the ground, of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Great picture, his face fell. If you've got children, you know exactly what that means, eh? You've seen a face fall, eh? But notice how our first problem is God. Outside of the paradise, the first problem man encounters is God. It's the root source of all other problems, our relationship with God. So what happens is Cain brings a sacrifice to God, uh, lamb or goat or whatever, firstborn, fat portions, the best part of the flock. And Cain brings, I don't know, grapes and plums and pineapples and all pretty nice things. They both come to God. Notice this. Why are they bringing sacrifices to God? Why are you bringing something to God? Straight away, start of creation. I mean, the start of the story of man after the fall. Why are they bringing sacrifices to God? Adam and Eve didn't. Adam and Eve didn't. The Bible says they, just had, they were just friends with God. What we've got here is the hint of a guilty conscience. You just see in people the understanding deep within them that I have to bring something to God. In other words, that the relationship is not what it should be. Isn't it interesting that there's no belief system in the world, no religion on planet earth, anywhere, anywhere, where man doesn't have some sort of sacrificial system? Why is that? Why don't, why don't you find an Amazonian rain jungle dweller next to the river? Why doesn't he have a religion where you can just talk to God and God's cool with that? 
He sacrifices something. Every single religion on earth has some sort of sacrificial system. And I suggest it's because of the collective conscience of humanity. We know we're out of sorts with God. We know deep within that something has happened. We're out of sorts. And the same with Cain and Abel. They bring to God a sacrifice. But here's the difference. What we also see is that not all sacrifices to God are acceptable. That God must be approached on God's terms. You can't just waltz up. Notice Adam and Eve could just waltz up to God. Approach him any old how. In fact, they didn't even have to wear clothes. They could just walk up to God. But suddenly the game's changed. Suddenly God has to be approached on God's terms. Fallen man can't relate to God. See, what's happened is water's gone under the bridge. Something's happened. God has been offended. We're sinners. God is holy. We're fallen. Easier to get oil and water to mix than a holy God and a sinful people. And the idea that you can now approach God on your terms is no longer true. And so Cain comes to God with a sacrifice, whatever he brings, fruit. And Abel comes to God with a sacrifice, meat or fat portions. And here's the astonishing thing. God accepts one and not the other. At the beginning of the Bible, universalism goes out the window. Some worship of God is acceptable and some worship of God is unacceptable. So what we need to do is come to this passage, put our brains on and ask this question, why? Why does God accept Abel's sacrifice and why does God not accept Cain's sacrifice? Both coming, both believing, eh? do you understand? Both believing God, absolutely. Both bringing him a sacrifice. One acceptable, one unacceptable. Why? Why? Well, what we've got here is the start of all religion. It's so important. Folks, this is very important. Get this on. Here we've got the start of relating to God correctly and religion, which is to relate to God in a bad way. Let me contrast these two ways. Man's way and God's way. Here's the thing. God has already established a pattern, a way of relating to Him, now that we've sinned. Now that we, by the way, before we sinned, you can waltz up to God. Now that we've fallen, because we're talking about fallen people. Now that we've fallen, God has established a pattern, a way that we relate to Him. If you come back to Genesis chapter 3, let me show you man's way of relating to God. Have a look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 and 7. The man and the woman fall. They disobey God. They declare independence. Look at verse, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, they were enlightened. Yeah, right. And they knew they were naked. Now watch this. They sew fig leaves together, and make themselves loincloths. What they do is they take fruit of the ground, fruit of the ground, fig leaves in this case, to cover their shame and hide their nakedness. 
The way they're going to relate to God is by man-made religion, which happens to be the fruit of the ground. We'll call it, what should we call it? The fruit root. Keep that in mind. But God has a different way of relating to people. So look at chapter 3, verse 21. Verse, uh, yeah, uh, 3 verse 21. And the Lord God, see, this is not man-made religion. This is God-made religion, if you want to call it that. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins. And the Lord God clothed them. What God does is God covers their shame. God hides their nakedness. But he does it through the death of a substitute, an animal. An animal dies so that their shame can be covered, their nakedness can be covered, and they can connect with God again. Notice those two ways. One is the way of self-effort. One is the way of, I will cover my shame, I will fix my mistakes, I will cover my nakedness through the fruit of the ground. The other way is God will cover my shame. God will cover my nakedness and God will do it through death, through the death of a substitute. God provides a sacrifice. God provides a sacrifice. You're right there, Mike. Is it echoing? Ah, that's what it was. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. All right. Did you see those two ways of relating to God? Now, take that in your head and go to Genesis chapter 4. What's Cain doing? Cain is taking the fruit root. He wants to engage with God on his terms. I will engage with God and God will have to put up with what I decide to give him. I will relate to God on my terms. Never mind that dad, who by the way is Adam, has told me a thousand times that God killed an animal to cover us. Never mind that my father, Adam, has told me the whole story. I still choose to relate to God the way I want to. And God must put up with it. Abel goes the God route. He trusts in what God said. He trusts in what God did. He takes an animal and he goes, oh, I really don't enjoy this. This is absolutely gross, but I'm trusting God. He kills the animal. He sacrifices it to God. It stinks horribly. There's blood everywhere. And he thinks to himself, you know what? Oh, this is gross. Maybe one day God will send a sacrifice so we don't have to keep doing this. He relates to God on God's terms. Maybe one day God will provide a sacrifice so that I don't have to kill animals anymore. But until then, I'm going to relate to God on God's terms. Fallen people can't relate to God properly anymore since the fall. And we still, to this day, insist on approaching God on our terms. What is God's terms, by the way? We're not in Genesis 4. Look at this. A lot has happened since then. What way do we relate to God today? And the answer is, I'll give you a quote from somebody. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
No one comes to the Father except by me. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. Who's that? It's Jesus. He is the sacrifice that God has provided. The substitute who dies in our place. And instead of relating to God through Jesus, what we do is we turn false religion. We we invent false religion. Sacraments. I relate to God through a human priest or by observing this ritual or, or the five pillars of Islam. I relate to God by doing all these sorts of things or the eightfold path of Buddhism. I relate to God by finding the truth within myself or secular Australians, neither Buddhist nor Islam, but who have good values. You know how I relate to God? I just take my family away on weekends and I hang out with the kids and I mow the lawn. And if the lady next door forgets to take out the yellow bin, because on Monday nights it's not just green lid, it's yellow lid as well, then I'll help her. Because I have good values. And God must put up with that. And when you tell this to people, did you get a little bit, uh, I mean, that's quite, woof, yoza. It makes people angry. To tell people you're not relating to God on his terms makes people angry. Look what happened to Cain. God comes to him and he doesn't regard his sacrifice. And look what happens to Cain at the end of verse 5. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. If you tell people you are not relating to God on his terms, what do you expect them to do? They get angry. You're so narrow. Oh, you guys are so narrow. You are so arrogant that you can tell me that they get angry, just like Cain. Bottom line is, I'm angry with God because I don't relate to God. That's why I'm angry with God. I want God to meet me on my terms. And until I get that, I remain angry. And to this attitude, God says something very important. Look at verse 6 and 7. To this attitude, God speaks. And he says this, verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God comes and he gives this most gracious warning. He says, listen, it's too late for you to be free. The fall has happened in Genesis. Why am I going here? It's not there. The fall has happened in Genesis 3. It's too late for you to be free. You will either bow your knee to me or you will be a slave to evil. That's what he says. Sin is crouching at the door. We watched How to Train Your Dragon the other night. It reminds me of one of those uh, dragon monsters. Sin is crouching at the door. And God says its desire is for you. In other words, it wants to dominate you. But you must rule over it. There's no more neutrality. You will either stop being independent of me or you will be controlled by sin. Man, said Luther, in his usual picturesque way, man is a donkey, now ridden by God, now ridden by the devil. Not very flattering, is it? But that's what God says. You will be ruled by me 
which is freedom, or you will be ruled by sin, the result of fallen people's inability to relate to God is they cannot find joy because they are dominated by sin. So, fallen people can't relate to God. Secondly, what this leads to, the fact that we can't relate to God, leads to fallen people can't relate to each other. Because we can't relate to God, we can no longer relate to each other. Have a look at verse 8 to verse 16. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. So this is the guy who can't relate to God. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So what happens? By the way, this point follows this point. Because we can't relate to God, we can't relate to God. To each other. The Bible's so clear that that order is the way things happen. Our not relating to each other is as a direct result of not relating to God. Who, any teachers here in a classroom? Well, heaps of teachers are down to earth church. But you know, if you're a teacher, you're standing in the classroom and you say, Now listen, I have to go to the principal's office. I mean, you just know these fatal words. I'm going to be back in 10 minutes. Just sit quietly. And do your work, okay? I mean, what naivety is that? Maybe I'm just talking from experience. But anyway, so, and I'll come back. And the teacher leaves the classroom. And what happens? It goes pandemonium. It just goes mental. When she comes back, Johnny and Bobby are in a full fisticuffs on the front floor. Now, how did Johnny and Bobby get to full fisticuffs on the front floor? It began with, not relating to the teacher, not obeying the teacher. Had they listened to the teacher and carried on with their work, Bobby and uh, what was the other guy's name, but they would not have been in fisticuffs. It's the same with planet Earth. Because we've rejected God, we've rejected each other. And so Cain rises up and kills his brother, which by the way is very ironic. What are we searching for from Genesis 4? We're looking for the serpent crusher. You all know this. If you were here last week, in Genesis 3, God promised the serpent crusher. Look in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. What does that mean? It means she thought this is the serpent crusher. Because God said, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. So she's thinking, hooray, Cain is going to be our saviour. And then, of course, instead of crushing the serpent's head, he crushes his brother's head. So it's quite ironic. So why does Cain kill Abel? Let's think carefully again. Why does Cain kill Abel? And the answer is, because he can't get to God. So he'll kill his image bearer. The reason Cain kills Abel is because he can't get to God. He's angry with God. He's disappointed in God. And he can't get hold of God. So he kills the one who bears God's image. A human being. If fallen man, if fallen people had half the chance, they would kill God. You think I'm being a bit harsh? You think so? Listen, if people treat God 
as if he, your neighbor, you know, you know your neighbor next door, your, that lovely person, that work colleague, if he or she treats God as if he doesn't exist, it's a very short step to try and ensure that he doesn't exist. It's the same thing. People would kill God if they had half a chance. Well, let's make it up. Let's pretend God came to this earth, maybe about this tall, with a beard, probably a carpenter, maybe a Jew, maybe living in Palestine. What do you think people would do, given half the chance? I think they'd crucify him. And that's why Cain kills Abel, because he hates Abel's God. He's angry with Abel's God, and so he kills him. Not only that, he blames God. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? Like as if God doesn't know. And he said, I do not know. Watch this. Am I my brother's keeper? Like God, can't you look after people? How many people blame God for the Holocaust? How many people blame God for when we kill people? When someone gets raped, it must be God's fault. Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, God, you're not doing a very good job of looking after your people. We blame God. And so God drives Cain away. By the way, that's just what Adam did. I mean, he blamed Eve and God for making Eve, etc., etc. It's just a human nature. The more we get into trouble, the more we blame God. And so God drives him away. Look at what God does. Uh, Verse 11, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield to your strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You will be restless, which is the opposite of the Sabbath. When we study the Sabbath, that's God's endless state of rest. Now, a wicked murderer becomes restless, a wanderer. That's why the Bible says there's no rest for the wicked. And so what you've got here is a picture. Then Cain, verse 16, goes away from the presence of the Lord and he settles in the land of Nod. Nod uh, in Hebrew means east, uh, east of Eden. So what you've got here is a man going further and further and further away from God. That's what's happening. Wow, this church is depressing. eh? Fallen people can't relate to God. Fallen people can't relate to each other. As a result, they get further and further from God. And lastly, talking about the pursuit of happiness, fallen people can't find satisfaction. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Look at verse 17. Cain knew his wife. She conceives and bore Enoch. And when he builds a city, he calls the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So there's pride. (laughs) Straight away, pride. We will make a city. You'd expect soon they're going to build a whole tower and name it after themselves. Because they're drifting further and further from God. So they're going to build a name for themselves in independence of God. By the way, I couldn't decide. Should I say fallen people can't find satisfaction? Or should I say fallen people can't build a just society? Because that's what happens here. Watch what happens. He names the city after his son. Then there's increased specialization, so they make tents and livestock, lyres and pipes, guitars and drums, internet, Xbox, Apple, uh, iPad. I mean, they get cleverer and cleverer. There's technological advancement, 
But there's trouble in paradise. What's the first trouble? You can all spot it. Lamech, verse 19, took two wives. Wait a minute. When did you get the right to treat women as objects? Who gave you, man, the right to take two wives? When did that happen? I don't see women taking two husbands. This is patriarchalism. The Bible in this clever narrative is not upholding this. It's showing you how bad it's becoming. Suddenly women are objects to be dominated by men. So Lamech decides, never mind in the garden God made male, female, put them together and said they shall be one. Lamech says, no thank you God, I'll take two. Of course this is what God said would happen. Have a look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. Look at Genesis 3 uh, verse 16. To the woman he said, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. But don't read that as God, by the way. You know we believe in the headship of the man. A loving, self-sacrificing headship. But that verse is not about that. It's saying this is what it's going to be like in a fallen world. Your husband's going to dominate you. It's not pretty. And by the way, that's the exact same word that's used in chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 7, sin desires to, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, dominate you. It desires to have you. It's the same word. Gone is the beautiful, mutual, trusting relationship. Do you remember when God finished creating? In Genesis chapter 2 at the end, the man and the woman were naked. They felt no shame. Suddenly it's gone and Lamech decides he can have two women. Which tells me that if any religion, any religion anywhere says that a man can have more than one wife, it must be man-made. Not people-made, man-made. Because God wouldn't make a religion like that. So we go from this loving relationship, no clothes, trusting each other, to a menage a trois in just one chapter. And pride and greed and injustice. Look at verse 23. Lamech says to his wives, Ada, Zilla, hear my voice. As in woman, listen to me because I'm talking. Your wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me. A young man for striking me. Can you see how it's just going into chaos? He can't find satisfaction, so he's got to have two. But he can't even find satisfaction in justice. A young man wounds him and he kills him. Does that sound fair to you? Can you see a society built on justice? Hmm? The pursuit, the right to life, the right to, the pursuit of happiness, and it's falling apart in Genesis chapter 4 already. He kills a young man for wounding him. It's a case of the strong preying on the weak. The strong taking advantage of the vulnerable. I mean, that's a society like this, where do you think this is going to end up? It's probably going to go to the point where, I don't know, you can kill unborn children for the sake of convenience. That's probably where a society like this is going to end up. Under a constitution that says you've got the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. In, in, in pursuit of that happiness, you can terminate children for convenience. 
This is very depressing, isn't it? Look at verse 24. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Can you see the cycle of murder and revenge is going? It's just getting worse. It's snowballing. I think I better stop there. It's so depressing. But there's good news. I'll show it to you now, but here's the point. Can you folks see that Christianity is true? It makes sense of the world we see. If my experience of reality doesn't line up with what the Bible tells me, there's got to be some problem somewhere. How about this? There's a man called the Dalai Lama. His fundamental teaching is that human beings are good on the inside. I look at the world, I read the newspapers, I think that guy must live in a tower in the mountains somewhere. He doesn't know reality. The Bible makes sense of the world we see. Now, I need to go quickly. This is such bad news. You're sorry you came to this church. But let me show you how great God is. Because what is, how does God respond to this? A massive giant foot comes out the sky, <coughs> squishes it all. No. God responds in grace. I'll show you from the passage. Common grace to all the world, special grace to his people. Watch, let me show you. I'll be very quick, we'll be done. Watch how God's response to all this <coughs> is just grace. First of all, there's the short-term grace, common grace. First of all, in verse 6 and 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Folks, take it on board. Here is the creator of the universe arguing with a piddly little being. Well, I nearly said that big, but about this big. I mean, can you see the grace that God should argue? That God should say, why? Why has your face fallen? Look at what God says in verse 7. If you do well, will you not? In other words, stop it. Please, stop it. If you don't do well, I'm warning you. Sin's crouching at the door. It's going to dominate you. you must, can you see the grace? That's common grace because God does that to every single person. Come on, stop it. Your pursuit of happiness is not working for you, is it? Then in verse 9, God gives him an opportunity to repent. Then the Lord said to Cain in verse 9, Where is Abel, your brother? As if God comes in and goes, Oh, where's Abel? Completely, he's gone off my divine radar. That blip is no longer... Now, where did... God knows exactly where he is. Why is he asking then? It's an opportunity to repent. It's like going to your child and saying, How did that crayon get on the wall? As if you don't know. But it's an opportunity for them to say, I'm sorry, Dad. It was like they're ever going to do that. But that's what God does for people. Constantly. Where's your brother Abel? And Cain just throws it back in his face. Am I my brother's keeper? It's your fault, God. You can't look after your people. And yet God still protects him. Look at the grace. Verse 14. Behold, you've driven me away from the ground. My face will be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wonder on earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said, no, I'll put a mark on you so that whoever finds you won't attack you. God still protects Cain. Can you believe it? He still protects him. 
And then God graciously still gives life. Look at uh, chapter 25. And Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, watch this, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. So first of all, God's grace is that he still lets life carry on. And we've got a couple of ladies pregnant here. In this broken world, God is still doing it. He's still showing grace. He's still letting it carry on. But best of all is the little clue. Appointed for me another instead of. And this, of course, is a little hint at what God's going to do. Because his special grace is that one day he will send his son instead of, in place of. In other words, he's going to provide the perfect sacrifice that will bring us together. And this, of course, is God's special grace. Look at verse 26. At, that, at the end of verse 26, at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. In amongst the mess, in amongst the chaos, God has still got his people and they start calling on him, relating to him properly through the substitute he provides. I don't have time, I'm going to finish right now, but here's the point. If you go home over lunch and you're halfway through that roast chicken, have a look at Hebrews 10. No, Hebrews 12. Because what God says there is that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood calls for revenge. Jesus' blood calls for forgiveness. What we are being told there is that God finally sent the sacrifice who would restore our relationship with him, reconcile us to him so that we can approach God on his terms. So, what does life look like outside of the garden? Well, go home, buy the newspaper and you'll see. It's just like Genesis 4. But praise God for his grace. Still available. Still available. Any questions? Let's have one or two questions and then we'll close. One or two questions. 